is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. All right, today on the podcast, I have my good friend, Kim Ingleby. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited. We met uh, through our business coach, Jill, last year, and it's really exciting to talk to you. It's been, a, it's been so long since I've seen you. Yeah, it's so nice to see you, and it's so nice to like do the podcast with you, having met you in... Was it Mexico we met first or mm-hmm. LA? LA. Uh, yeah. Know, I don't know. Timeline. Yeah, it was yeah. LA. It was LA yep. and then it was Mexico. So it's two years ago. No, three. Three. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. But let's get in. So I know that you coach on so many different topics. You are an expert on so many different things. And we're going to get to that. But I always like to hear about how you grew up with sports or with running what did it look like when you were little oh when I was little there's a question I don't think anyone (laughs) has asked me that so high five to you (laughs) um I grew up on well I started on a farm in Scotland in the middle of nowhere like literally nowhere and there were six people in the school and half of them were my family uh and so I was running around on a farm and I mean, it was just like the remotest, freest, like life you could have. Um, and then we traveled a bit because I have family in uh, Israel and Zimbabwe. So we would go out there and both of those places are obviously uh, quite different too, um, but they were very outdoorsy. And then we moved. So we were slightly more central Scotland. And I, I kind of struggled with that because I'd had such a isolated, like free childhood that and I mean I wasn't old like we moved when I was about eight and then like classes were bigger and everything was sort of more under pressure so we were still on a farm and I loved being outside but I struggled like being in the bigger restrictive school environment um so yeah I did outdoor stuff was mainly my thing when I was young and then I was I don't know how much like you want but I was sort of I was bullied a lot so I really really struggled from 8 to 14 and that affected like just I mean everything like really severely and so I didn't and I wasn't good at sport then either and I didn't do any sport really like I did it at school but I wasn't good at it and I was never picked I was like the last person in the team um and then like 14 15 I I moved schools quite a lot because of the bullying. I've only really just started to like talk about it. Um, and so at 15, I then met a couple of just who are still my best friends. And uh, although I still had that, like the negative going on, I had like made a commitment to myself to kind of do stuff. And I was riding horses. I was lucky to do that. So I was riding ponies and like anybody, anybody's pony um, and running around the farm, but not again still not like being I would never say I was good at sport um, but I just love being active and I did something that in the UK is called the Duke of Edinburgh so you go like walking and camping and you do community work and charity work and you have to like tick different boxes and get hours and and then you get this award by the Duke of Edinburgh and I really love that so I think like my childhood was around outdoors and running around outdoors but not running if that makes sense like I didn't like running but I liked running and playing outside yeah um and animals you know like riding horses that was my that was my thing um 
Yeah, it's such a natural way to think about like about being active is when we were kids, you like you didn't have to be in the gym lifting weights. You were just running and playing and being a kid. And that was just a part of your life. Yeah, completely. And I think like for anyone listening, like my it was there wasn't a gym. Like there was no gym anywhere in my life until I was probably 2020 I guess that I'd never even seen like a gym or anything it just wasn't in my world (laughs) um so it was yeah like I went swimming at school and I did something called tetrathlon at the end of school which was riding running swimming and um, pistol shooting when that was loud um that was a few years ago and that was like I did that for Scotland um and I rode um, in the end for the under 21 Scottish team. So like horse riding was a lot of like my whole time. Um, but gyms, yeah, that evolved probably like 1920 when I was watching performance people and thinking they weren't, they could be as fit as their horses and perform better. And then I was thinking about my own sort of journey and thinking if I could be fitter and stronger, it would give me more confidence. Mm-hmm. So, but it didn't come till like later. But then I was like, really like this is the thing yeah (laughs) this this is what I want to do yeah so So. what did that look like what kinds of things did you get started in doing uh so initially I rode see these are all the things you guys don't know which is is no yeah um (laughs) when initially I rode horses so professionally um and I went and did my riding instructors exams um at a place called Glen Eagles which is quite well known and I rode loads of horses taught loads of kids um, I did some charity work in Belize um, in Central America. So I lived there for three months and did some charity work out there building, you know, schools and stuff. Um, and that was really like then I applied for some jobs down in England for riding. So probably until like 17 when I left school till 21, 22, I was it was all riding like that was my thing. And I rode for Scotland and and whilst I was doing that, I did a degree in business. Um, and then the plan was like, I'm going to train as a personal trainer and a sports therapist, and I'm going to blend like the two together, which is what I did till I was probably late twenties. And then realized that I couldn't, I couldn't fund riding at a high level and doing everything that I was doing. So then I got a bike and (laughs) they should replace the horse, which it never has done, like replaced it truly. Um, and then I kind of, I did the London Marathon, which I hated, absolutely hated and swore I would never run any, mm. like again. Mm. <laughs> um, and it took me like three years to get to the finish line because the first year I like did too much training too soon and got shin splints. The next year I did too little, but too intense and I got like sore knees. And then the third year I like dragged myself around and nearly got heat stroke and then was like, I'm never doing this again. And I looked the other day and I think it, it was probably like 10 years before I then did another one. Oh, wow. And now I've done loads. Um, yeah. But that's that's the next part of the story. So, yeah, yeah it, it evolved. So once I'd graduated and finished riding, no, once I graduated, then I did my personal training, advanced personal training, sports therapy, nutrition, um, and then like weave the two together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, I what you said, though, about like there's so much that we – we don't do over here in America. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you've traveled, you traveled so much when you were young and to be able to like 
try out all of these different things. That just sounds amazing. Like really like vibrant experiences in life. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, like obviously in our mastermind, I've met loads of cool people, but I think the the UK and Europe is, is like, we're really similar. We're all the same, but then we're all really different. But then also I think I'm often told like I'm quite different in terms of, you know, I do like to go to weird places, the places like, and I like to do races that are in really like, not even races, like events that are in weird places or remote places that have a charity angle to them. And I like different experiences. And so I think I have a very broad like outlook on life, um, sort of colored, mm-hmm. like vibrant is, is, is a good word. And yeah. having had the influence of like the Middle East in my upbringing, um, my dad's now remarried and spent some of his time in New York. Um, so I have a really like mixed family background, but, and, and been to very different places as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel grateful for that. Um, it's definitely given me more resilience in every aspect of my life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about, so you got started, um, you said the London marathon, had you been running before that or were you like, cool, I'm going to do a marathon. Were you doing shorter races? Yeah. So I actually forgot that. I know that your audience may laugh, but I forgot I did the New York marathon. I'll tell you why I forget that because I would, when you ride horses, you get probably two or three months when the horses go out to grass to have downtime like humans should have in a way of like to (laughs) properly like relax and Mm. recover from their competition season Mm -hmm. and during that time like in that time like we used to drink lots of alcohol and as you know I don't drink now so that was funny but we used to drink and we'd gone out and someone had said hey let's go to New York and run the marathon and we'd all had some drinks and we like filled in these forms for a charity thing and and sent it off and I was only 18 I was writing and I just moved to England and I was like oh yeah I can do that and then I remember like running round and round this block um by the stables every day after the stables and thinking oh I'm gonna be fine (laughs) and and one of the guys was like oh you're really fast so I was like yeah I'm really fast and then I got the worst influence and so from September till November I didn't run at all and we went out to New York and it's just really funny because hopefully it helps your audience that we stayed in the youth hostel in bunk beds, like 10 of us. And uh, somehow I did the marathon. The pictures just show like how horrendous it was for me. And, and then when we walked back, it was like before mobile phones, it sounded really old, but it was. And so I couldn't find like oh. the hostel. And so I must've walked like forever. Anyway, found the oh, hostel. Oh, after the marathon, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it was 10 years until I did London. And so, when I did New York, that was like from just a break from the horses and, you know, like a joke, really. Uh, and I'd run like 800 meters with the tetrathlon. Like, so no, I hadn't run. And then between then and um, London, I'd entered just, it's kind of like probably New York or Chicago that you enter the ballot because everyone says you should run London. And I'd enter the ballot like five years in a row and then I never got it and then got it and thought, well, I can't not do it. Um, And my dad had had a heart attack. So I thought I'll do it for like um, heart disease charity and like, let's do it. Um, But that's when, you know, I got injured and um, I didn't, I told myself, which is maybe useful as well. Like I told myself, I can't, I can't do a marathon, you know, I'll get shin splints, I'll get injured, 
you know, I, I'm not designed to do a marathon. Um, and I like really believe that even though I had some other skills. And then the first year when I got injured again, I kind of beat myself up about being a trainer and getting injured and not being able to do it. Um, and so then when I did London, it was really hot. And because I'm so blonde and get heat stroke again i hated the whole experience <laughs> like i just got to the end and was like never again and then there's part two of like i got really ill and how how i then have started to do more and change things um but i i really learned a lot from those two things of like what not to do um and how to how to run on like not overtraining um and rest and strength yeah. and like food and recovery and all the stuff that a lot of runners are scared to look at you know and so most of my marathons now I run off like one to three runs a week max like most of it's and that's genuinely honest like most of them are one to two runs a week and the rest is around strength um, and recovery and yes I walk a lot but it's so it's time on feet but it's not I don't run and that's i think partly my physiology is prone to injury mm -hmm. and then i have the neurological condition now that we might come to so but what i love doing is helping people believe in themselves if they've got a condition um or even if they haven't and they just don't think that they can do it and really have this big like passion that people can do like if they have that wish that they want to do something they they really can but we often put ourselves under so much pressure that we should do it this year. Oh yeah. Like maybe a marathon takes three years and you kind of don't want to like realize that it does. And also that there are some people that marathons really suit. And so they can be annoying for people that it takes, you know, a lot of time, but if you still love running, it's like, just be patient and work out like what works for you. Um, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. I'm glad that you said that about like, maybe it takes more than a year. Like it, it takes however long it takes, but we like, we get on these timelines. I have to do it this year. I have to do it this month. I have to accomplish this yeah. goal by this time. But it's like, why? Like, it's just some arbitrary number that we throw out there. Yeah. Um, I think it's like, like, oh, I have to prove it to myself this year. And then what usually happens is we get injured. I'm pointing to myself. We get injured because we push ourselves too much. Or we quit because it's, um, it was too much too fast instead of like, what's yeah. your goal? What is, you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, why do you want to do it? And most people are like, oh, I feel I should, or I want to raise money for charity, or I want to lose weight, or, you know, that maybe something stressful has happened and they're changing their life. And I get all of that. Um, but it's meeting yourself where you are. So when I'm like you working with someone, I'll look at, you know, what's your fitness age? Not necessarily just with running, but are you used to doing fitness and being active or have you never been active? And either's cool, but you know, every person is an individual. And I think a lot of, it's changing and evolving now, but a lot of marathon training is very much like, this is what you need to do. And actually I have found from personal experience and now, coaching loads of people that as we know everyone's a different shape and size and has different conditions and so you have to meet that person and go hey like it you could do it this year but it will probably cause you some discomfort and also how's your family life as in do you have enough time to take this much time out 
And it's been really helpful speaking to people around things like that, because when they realize the time, they're like, oh, I will stretch it or no, no, I want to do it now. That's fine. And it's all the extra bits, you know, like I don't say you need loads of supplements, but sometimes little ones when your marathon training help, sometimes like the extra pair of trainers and a good sports bra, you know, all those things make a difference, but they're a cost. And a lot of people don't realize like the bigger picture that makes the finished picture so much better for you. And means that it's not a finish. It's just a, it's something that then you can go on. And I love that you're just like, Hey, I ran 10 miles. And <laughs> at the moment I'm jealous that you ran 10 miles because we're not allowed to do that. Um, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. Helping that person meet themselves where they are, but also believe that they can move forwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I think about like, so I used to be a teacher and think about when kids come to the the start of the school year, there's like this weird assumption that all kids are starting at the same point, but that's not true. Like all kids have um, what they learned at home, their experiences. Some kids are really far behind. And so like the start line isn't like not every kid is at the start line. Some kids are way behind the start line and some kids are way in front of the start line. So this expectation that they're all going to arrive at the same time is ridiculous. And so I think that we forget that as adults too, like you might download a training plan online and it's like, okay, but if you haven't been doing anything the last four months, maybe, maybe that isn't what you start with. (laughs) Maybe you start a little bit back. Um, but we forget that. Mm -hmm. That's a really good example. And it's so true. It's so true for everything, not just running like life. It's Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) it's brilliant. Like, uh, and I think we often put too much pressure on ourselves, but also too much judgment. Um, and I was talking to some clients about this of, you know, we judge ourselves way harder than we would judge someone else. And that judgment can then um, interfere in our like intuition of how we're actually feeling. So like, oh, the plan says this, I should do that. I'm rubbish. If I don't do it, I'm going to do it. But your body's saying, hey, maybe it's like the time of the month you've, you know, you've didn't have time to stretch because the kids were crying or, you know, you just didn't do it and you're tired so like maybe just do some stretching and some core work that day but most people just either do none of it or all of it but you could adapt it and do something that would help like the next day so yeah Yeah. but it's the process isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah that's huge so let's get back to you I want to hear a little bit more so you ran the marathon you're like I'm never going to do this again but you did (laughs) you've done a billion of them what did that look like? How did you, what did your running career look like after the London Marathon? Running career. I love it. I never see it like that. Um, <laughs> what happened? So probably 10 years after that. Um, I don't know exact dates, but um, my best friend lost a baby um, at, and you know, just, it should have been born and, you know, died. So I, and she was living in the Middle East and I was like, how can I help her? And so I was like, hey, I can do an Ironman. <laughs> and this is my best friend who, is always saying kim settle down stop running around the world doing these crazy things so i was like she'll definitely say that she won't say anything else and she threw the curveball in and said oh that would be amazing because it would really help me turns out her mom and her had no idea what nine man was but they were just like that's cool and then me being like com- i always like commit to my words so i was like right i said i do it i do and obviously an iron man is like a big swim 120 mile bike and then a marathon so that was like my first marathon back but it was largely walking 
in an Ironman. <laughs> so that was 2012. And then, and, and I was like, I'm never doing an Ironman again either. I, like I did that for my friend and like, that's that, like I raised money. And then in 2013, I got really, really ill. Um, so I got something called leptospirosis, which is from swimming in open water. Um, they think from like, I, I just humorize it as a rat that's really ill. Um, but it made me really, really ill and gave me a secondary viral condition, which affects my neurology um, like epilepsy. But for probably a year, I, well, three months, I was really ill. I didn't even know my name at points and I was sort of lying on the floor and, you know, like hyper stimulated to any noise and anything like that. And it literally like changed my life because everything that made me me was taken away. Mm. And, um, it's been a continual journey you know it still affects me but I know how to manage it and so 2015 so two years afterwards about 18 months afterwards there was a marathon in Sierra Leone that popped up on Facebook and they said you know enter this competition and you could win flights and do the marathon and there was just something about so it was working with street children in Sierra Leone and I that appealed to me because the charity angle has has been with me since I was like 12 like I've done charity work through my whole life and I I just thought wow that's like I need to do something to break this cycle I'm going to just live in fear forever mm-hmm. so I filled it in and of course I well not of course but I won the competition to go mm-hmm. literally you should have filmed it I I remember I was shaking and crying i don't think i've shared this with anyone Jacqueline. i was like shaking and crying at the at the airport and just going i can't i can't get on the plane because i was so scared like i'd have you know a big seizure or something or you know i just hadn't been out as it were so got on the plane and it was like the oldest plane in the world air gambia going to sierra leone like it literally it had no tvs or anything and it was an eight hour flight and I was sat next to the medic and I'm not sure what you say but somehow basically my notes hadn't got to the medic until he was on the flight so if he'd read them before I got onto the flight I wouldn't have been allowed to go and so I never I like sent them all the information and I was thinking they're not going to let me go but they did because somehow in communication it hadn't all been linked up so I see it as divine intervention and a blessing because sure. if it hadn't happened but I was next to him and I had loads of problems on that trip, but he was the most amazing medic ever. And um, they thought I was like a crazy runner that was just going to push themselves till, you know, she died and wasn't going to listen. And I respect them for that. But I kept saying, I promised you, I know my body. I know like the history of everything. So yeah, that was long story short. I can fill people in if they ever want to know, but I, did the week street, street child work and then I ran the marathon. Well, ran is a, not the right word. I jogged and dragged myself with this amazing guy in the charity, Michael, who stayed with me the whole time. The medics continually were like, we need to pull you in. And I was like, I, I literally have no idea how I did it. It took me eight hours. Um, it was humid, you know, it was hot and it, it was beautiful. Like, so beautiful and so remote so that was my first marathon back and then after that I just I I found I think a purpose with it and a new way of living of like I can't race I can't 
push myself really hard, but I can make a difference and I can do something with this. And so that's how I evolved into, you know, doing other marathons. And so like more often than not, I'm very near the end. You know, I haven't been last since, but, you know, and some of them are, are really difficult, but also the ones I choose are, which is helpful for people to, you know, I talk through it with beginners. I'm like, choose a marathon that will suit you because now, like if I had to do London now, like my conditions, it, it, I, I don't know if I could do it. Like I did Berlin um, in memory of like a family member who'd taken a life. And it took me, I think, I think the cutoff was 7.15 or something, but I was on the cutoff and it was because of all the noise and because yeah. of like how my body responds. And it really threw me because I was like, oh, I've done so many marathons. And, and I always say like, respect the marathon and, so that wasn't about my fitness, but it was about my medical stuff. And so I, my, I thrive when they're remote, there's nobody there and there's a purpose at the end. So I'm like, I've done this marathon. I've raised money for, you know, a good cause. I've been to a beautiful remote place in the world. I feel really grateful. And it's, it's totally transformed, like how I see things, but also how I coach people. And, and I do coach like, team gb and i work with strictly come dancing like professionals so come dance with me and i do coach high-end people with the mental side of the training i have but the large majority are people who are either like you said hard on themselves or they have like medical conditions or they just don't believe in themselves and they've kind of lost that joy that you know when you do your first race you are so proud that you did it and i always say like if anyone's listening i'm like keep that keep that you know like you may have a bad race but don't beat yourself up because it's or beat yourself up but then reflect on it and be kind to yourself because there's a reason why you've had that bad race and I've learned that so yeah I feel really lucky what I have done but then I'm also I understand where people are because even though I've done a lot every time I come back to doing endurance I never know if I'm going to be able to do it and I think that that's across the board with anyone, but I really feel that because um, I just, I don't know, you know, I always have that slight distrust with my body, but I think that that's normal with anyone running a marathon because whether you want to run sub three or you want to do your first one and it takes you till the end of the day, you have to respect the marathon and you don't know how you're going to respond. Yeah. So. Tell me more. you said that twice to respect the marathon. What do you, what do you mean by that? Respect the marathon. what I mean good question I mean that it's 26 miles or 40k Mm -hmm. and um that's a long way and you don't you don't know what's going to happen you know to your body and I think your body in the circum in like the environment so whether it's hot it's cold it's raining it's snowing it's windy you don't you know you can't guarantee you're going to meet the marathon on your best day And I think that that's the mistake I've made. And many people think like I followed the plan. So I'm going to feel amazing by marathon day. And this is what's going to happen. But you have no guarantee that marathon day is going to feel amazing. You know, you might be on a day that you're tired. You didn't sleep well. You're nervous. Your energy's drained. You know, there aren't crowds and you need crowds or there are crowds and you want them to shut up, you know, (laughs) but that's true. And like all these things mean that maybe it's not your best day and you have to respect the marathon. Like when I help people mentally set up, 
I, I look at you know each 10k phase and I'm like how are you feeling how's your training been how's your taper been how's your mood how's your home life how's your work life you know what have we got coming up to this marathon before you know that's nothing to do with your training like the training yeah. cool that's cool but if you're traveling say long haul or you've got two kids and they've been sick or you're caring for an elder, elderly parent or an animal like what's going to influence your stresses so that when you start like you start with the expectation and care of yourself like you know you meet yourself where you are on that day and then the respect of the marathon i think is that you have the flexibility to adapt your plan every 10k so you tune in and you're running and you're like hey i feel great i could pick it up but not at this point because it's too soon or i'm halfway and i'm feeling this mentally i need to draw on this or physically i feel this so i need to pull back and maybe hydrate or and so it's just respecting it, it it has respect and if you respect the marathon and yourself it, it it will happen you know it may not be the outcome you want it may be even better than you ever imagined mm. but it will happen um but there has to be that level of respect and that's only come from doing however many i've done now which i never realized until <laughs> i did a talk about it and added them up and was like oh wow i thought i'd done like four <laughs> but no mm -hmm. i'm thinking about um there's an author that I really love, Janine Roth, who writes about how the way you view one thing is the way you view anything or your relationship with one thing is your relationship with anything. So your relationship with food is the way you uh, relate to other things, work, your body. And I'm kind of hearing that, like, if you're respecting the marathon, you're also respecting your body and like understanding. Yeah. And so it's not that like that, no excuses, no pain, no gain. It's a hey, it's this long-term thing. It's this, um, yeah. and I don't love the word intuitive, but it's the, it's the like understanding your body, understanding what's happening instead of pounding yourself and like no excuses, get this done. And it's a way yeah. different way of, of approaching it. Yeah, I think I love that you brought up no excuses because a lot of people say to me, oh, isn't that letting yourself off the hook? And I'm like, no, it's actually from my point of view, you're more committed. And you're more determined to make, you know, if you want a time or you want to complete or, you know, you have a goal, I'm cool with that, but you are committing to it. And for me, the commitment is, is that flexibility. So it's like you're committed, but you're also flexible. And as a new runner, it's hard. And I wouldn't use intuitive either because like you don't know, you haven't run before. And that's where it's working with a coach or being in a group can be really helpful because you can be like, hey, I've got really sore muscles and this is how it feels. And you can talk with the group or the, pe or the person and find out, is it to do with you didn't eat some foods that would help the recovery? Or is it that you didn't really stretch and you, know, you, you ran too fast for your pace and you need to pull back or you didn't sleep? Or is it just normal? and you're cool to go again. And so I think, yeah, I, I don't use intuitive either. I say actually be really, um, not so much just the apps, but also writing down. I get people to keep a log so that they just put a diary of like today's date and they put energy, mood, um, and kind of what they've done, how they're feeling, because that handwritten connection as well as the app, like the combination of the two means that yeah, intuitive, but you're also connecting with yourself. You're not just relying on the app, which I have found with, Clients can lead to overtraining because they they feel like, oh, I need to train. The, the thing says I need to train. I'm like, 
you need to commit. So I'm like, you've got to commit to these things if you want to change and it will be uncomfortable. But equally, there are two or three things that you can be flexible on. And I would say with people, it takes two or three years to actually evolve through that process. Um, And so it's probably in the first year quite scripted of like do these runs and tick them and communicate um, or follow them yourself and take advice from like this podcast and things. And then the second year, you kind of start to understand what you like. And also maybe you don't like marathons. Like that's the other thing. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, oh, I, sh- I can't run half marathon now because it's not enough. I'm like, but if you didn't enjoy the marathon, it's okay. Like you could just run 10Ks and enjoy that. And there's somehow people feel that the distance is like it makes them good enough mm-hmm. and and like the shorter distance isn't enough especially if they're not fast and it's not enough to like get lighter or fitter and and I've learned that too and you know I've learned from uh was it last year I didn't do a marathon because of you know just health stuff I didn't do one and I I, chal- I was challenged in my brain I really was I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that but I also learned so much from running five and 10 Ks. Like I, I find them super uncomfortable. They put me in a really, like in a growth space. And, and then it was kind of uh, freeing. So I was like, oh, I could just do five and 10 Ks. I had so much more time, um, which actually scares some people. Because if they have more time and they don't have their marathon training, then they're like, who am I? And what do I do with that time? But we, I won't confuse everyone too much. <laughs> Just give them thoughts to think about. <laughs> that's the because I have my masters in NLP hypnotherapy coaching. Like that's the other side of my skill set that I'm really experienced with. So that's like some of this will be like coaching stuff, which people are like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> no, <laughs> Just no. Post, post comments now because yeah. I'm down with anything. Like I'm really open. No, okay, but I do want to talk about that. I think that is a huge thing. It's the if I'm not spending my whole time and my whole life working on this thing then what will I, what will I do that I've, I've spent yeah. so much time and so much brain and brain power. And I, this is something I talk with my clients about a lot too. If your whole life wasn't about losing weight and that wasn't your sole purpose on this planet, what would you be doing with that time? And they're like, I have no idea. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this will like, this will take up all of that time and space and energy because you don't, what else do you want to do? And so it's like, yeah. Like, oh, wait, hobbies, like something, something besides tracking calories is like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. And I have felt this when you said that, um, what do I do on, what do I do on weekends? Because right now I actually cannot run um, because of my knee. And I'm like, what do I do on, what do I do on Saturdays? I should be doing a long run right now. Like, uh, what do I do? There you go. Like you should. Yes. Yeah, no, you, you, it's like, what must you do? Like what fills you up? And I think with the weight is what, or any of it, it's the internal thoughts changing as well. Um, so starting to, it's not, I don't always say like, love yourself because people find that quite difficult to attach to, I find, but actually just being compassionate and helpful to yourself are things, words that I find people have found useful of like, how can you be more helpful to yourself mm. rather than sabotaging yourself? And if you were more helpful, what would you do? And that's way more scary than the sabotage because you kind of, you don't want to have all the negative, but you know it. And it's kind of safe and it protects you from anyone else saying that. 
but if you kind of like you said like turn and open the door and go hey but if you were helpful what would you do you can literally feel the fear of like oh i would do that so you could try that but what if i fail and it's like that loop that you have to break to free it um and see what's possible and that's the same ironically with saying you don't want to do the marathon is what does that time give you and for example there would be two things that have come from clients this this week is i would start a business or i would start dating mm. and mm. but they fear both of those things yes. because they're like one will i put on weight or will i lose weight or you know that but more than anything those two things don't guarantee an outcome and a medal and because they're experienced people the experience is like oh well i do the marathon and i get the medal and and i like that experience like they also like it so then if you take it around to like identity it's like if i'm not running a marathon who am i so when i'm doing my business or i'm going dating but i'm not running a marathon like what do i say i do because i'm not doing the marathon I'm like well you still run marathons you're just not doing it right now um and but it's a whole process and um, people listen to me talking um I think now having experienced the illness, it's easier for people to relate, but it's, it's, it's an experience. You know, I've run my business for over 16 years. So, you know, I have only recently been more vulnerable in sharing things. So when someone's listening, it's like, be kind but to yourself, but also commit to yourself. Mm -hmm. like that's what I say to myself. I'm like, commit to myself. Like if I'm, everyone's still i'm sure you like i you still have moments and days where you're like oh i don't feel or look like this or you know most people have some doubt and it's like commit to yourself like what do you need in that moment and if you don't know what you need then ask someone and those two things are hard but most of us do know what we need we just fear it mm. um so yeah we slightly digress off like not running <laughs> marathon um, but i'll bring it back to like the marathons i have met the most amazing people and communities um all over the world like i i literally have i've run in india sierra leone nepal um and yeah and then more locally uh but i i feel truly lucky but all of those have been charity ones so like i've i've just had amazing experiences from them yeah yeah there's nothing like it it is yeah, Cause I mean, I had the same experience of, I ran one and I was like, I'm never doing this again. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so right now during the pandemic, uh, mm -hmm. uh, marathons probably are not happening this year. I'm signed up for <laughs> Chicago in October and I'm like, I don't think that that's happening. What, um, what does running look like for you right now? Uh, so like, put me on the spot. What does it look like? <laughs> not much. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a really like, what does it look like? Not much. So last year I just touched on like this family suicide end of 2018. I was very closely like I was the person involved with finding, etc. So last year I had a lot of stress and trauma, which was very interesting in how it affected me physically. Okay. So normally when I'm stressed, like I get adrenaline, like people respond to stress differently. So I get adrenaline, I go and run and I feel better. And so last year was a new experience of like feeling very heavy and stuck and not being able to really run or push through it. And I was like, this is not good, <laughs> uh, which is where I like dropped back with the miles. Um, but also I learned, so I did professional training and PTSD and things, which is almost like a gift for this year because I feel like I can help people on another level. Mm -hmm. So I was coming back with great excitement in January and February um, and going, 
right, I'm feeling like I can run again. Yay, I feel great. And hopefully this shows like the journey is never like the destination really. <laughs> and so then I'm starting to run and like I have my races mapped out and I think that I'm going to go and do this charity stuff and here I'm like, yeah. And then the pandemic happened and I just think, yeah, I mean, I was sad like everybody else. I mean, not talking about the whole thing because that's not my thing, but in the running, but I just, I felt this huge sense of sort of like compassion to the greater, you know, what was happening. And I was like, right, what can I do? And so I put notes through my neighbor's doors and I call them my crew. I've got um, 10 houses that I do volunteering for. I just set up myself and they're all isolating um, completely. So they can't go out at all because of their age or their history. So I cycle or I walk with my rucksack and I pick up food for them. And I've done that since March. And this month in the UK is something called Miles for Mind. So you every day you do some miles for mental health and mind is the charity here. And so I hadn't really paid attention to like the steps I was doing. But then for the mind thing, you log them just to give to the charity. And so I did. And I was like, oh, wow, like my step time is way up like I'm walking for hours doing this so I'm not really running um I'm starting to do maybe like 5k but it's not like it's not been possible and it's not my priority mm -hmm. and I also think that everybody like anyone listening to this you will all we will all have a layer of stress you just can't avoid it because of like the external like the world is stressed and that will affect you and in my experience, it's just so important that you don't push yourself too much during it. Equally, you do need to move. Like if you know you're not moving, like movement is freeing for your body. But walking is actually, as you know, it's very healing and it doesn't stress your body. Running at, you know, at a level will stress your body. So I'm just mindful of that. Um, but equally, people need to do what works for them right now. You know, I have no judgment. Like, it's like, do what you need to do. But yeah, I'm talking to people, like some people would like to race in the autumn. But as time goes on, particularly in the UK, most people are looking at next year for their actual races. Um, more so because I've chatted to them about, you know, would you be happy to travel? Would you be happy to be in an environment with loads of people around you? So if you take the race out and you just, you think of actually the logistics around the event. So say Chicago happens, it's like, would you want to travel there? Would you want to isolate in the UK state for like two weeks afterwards? Would you be happy to run with lots of people? And also the secondary like loss is like, you haven't seen your family probably for four months. So maybe you want to see your family and have some fun rather than doing that marathon and it's been that was quite pivotal for one of my clients that they really wanted to do the marathon so this is kind of become an invisible loss for them that even if it happens they're not going to do it because actually it's more important to see the family but that doesn't mean that there's not a process of like loss for the marathon mm -hmm. but through that process they're then now looking at different ways they can be strong and stronger so we're then looking at like, where do you normally get injured? So like you, your knees, what can you do in lockdown? That means when you come out of this, you don't have so much of a problem. So it's like looking at it that way. Um, yeah. 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 That's huge. I love that. Um, Cause it has been like, 
on the one hand, I'm sad that the marathon's probably not going to happen or that I'm probably not going to do it if it does happen. But yeah. also without that pressure of the race, I'm like, oh, let me make sure I'm doing the exercises I was supposed to be doing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And without running, my body has gotten this chance to have, you know, have a rest and like actually focus on building muscle, building my glutes, like building my quads. And yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it's been, it, it was a forced break, but it was what my body needed. Slow down. Don't push yourself into another race that it doesn't need to be in. Yeah. And I think if people are listening with like kids and busy families or they're like workers, they're doctors and nurses, you know, you just have to take care of yourself and know that that's going to impact you for a few months afterwards and get that support around you and like find a race that really excites you for next. Like your, I really feel like our next first race should be something that we know we can do and it, it, I mean, maybe it pushes us, but we also know we can do it so that we do it. And we're just like, oh, that was great. Rather than something that you don't know, because you want to come back and just have this enjoyment from it. But also you want to trust yourself and learn about running in this new way, however the races organize it. So you don't want the extra pressure of putting yourself under like this must be a PB. That's my perspective I know everyone will have a different for their motivations but I feel like there needs to be some joy in whatever you're aiming for when you know you can and it's different I know for every state and it's different in the UK so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um we touched on we touched on this a little bit but I want to talk a little bit more about mental health and I've been using the hashtag movement for mental health and I Mm -hmm. had someone else on the podcast a few months ago um she wrote a book Nita Sweeney who wrote the book depression hates a moving target and how she worked herself. I mean, didn't solve depression, but like gets herself out of depression inducing thoughts by moving Mm. her body and learning to run with her dog. You actually would love her. Can you tell a little bit more about how movement can help people during the pandemic um, with their mental health? Oh, that's a really big question. Um, to keep it really simple, if someone's listening and struggling, I would just say, do it, just move. Just like take this moment, switch the podcast off or take us with you and just literally move. Because when you're not okay mentally, you can get very stuck in like yourself and your thoughts and movement. It will change like your chemistry, the hormones, you know, we don't need to go into that bit, but it changes things in you and it's, it's freeing like it, it it helps you to metaphorically like move your thoughts because you're moving it's very hard to stay stuck in a heavy state if you are moving and it makes it, it makes a difference even if it's just for that moment but even if you feel it doesn't help you mentally it will help your body physically which in turn in time will help you mentally and i think when people are mentally not okay and it's one of the like gp like medical referrals that i work with it is the, the mental health area um it's it's working with that person and finding like which point in the day is good for you and it may not be good but there is normally a point where there is a window where that person has a little bit of light and we we preset it so this is more committed so instead of like 
what we've talked about of being flexible and things when it's your mental health it's actually saying at nine o'clock i am going for a walk and i and you've already prepared like i'm wearing this i'm going for a walk around the block it's going to take me 10 minutes and i'm just doing that because often we feel like we should do so much more and like trust me where i was last year with the ptsd that's fine but it's the habit of doing it it's the effect of daylight fresh air movement but equally if someone's suffering from massive anxiety and the thought of going outside isn't great I'm like dance like put some music on and just and even if you just stand there and sway mm. like i don't it doesn't really matter but it's just disconnect from digital and the music is the same as like the movement of if you have a music track on it's very hard to keep all the negative thoughts the whole time the music is giving you something to listen to and so like music therapy is something if you have an animal as you and i both know we love animals if you have an animal you know connecting with the animal and stroking them um just lying on the floor and doing breath work uh because often when you're mentally or physically you know you're not well and particularly with this pandemic it's to do with breathing i've noticed a lot of people aren't breathing deeply so actually literally just lying on the floor and breathing you know both of us have just done yeah that. <laughs> i was like oh, uh, am i breathing i should take a deep breath right now <laughs> but you know like breathing can help yoga it's it's like finding your thing you know i don't have any real i've got a couple of weights but not much weights at home but i have i'm lucky i have a small garden so i have like one sack of garden soil and i'm like moving it around and doing things like weight wise of that because that's all i've got and but i think keeping it simple mentally you know whatever is your thing do it for five ten minutes a day yeah. and commit to that however you feel um, there's something called the tibetan five moves the yoga moves and i've done them since 2012 when i did the iron man because i am prone to like knee injuries so i was like i'm not going to get injured this time i'm going to do those yoga moves and i've made a commitment to do them like there's five and you're supposed to do 21 like of each of them sometimes i just do one of each of them so it's literally like five is 10 seconds, but it's the habit of it. Mm, and mm -hmm. people hearing this, it's, it's the habit. It's like if you walk out the door and round like two minutes and that's today, like high five yourself if that's all you can do. Because tomorrow you might be able to do 30 minutes. And then the next day you might only be able to do one minute again. And you are not better or worse because of that. But if you push yourself out the door to do it every day, at nine o'clock or whenever is okay for you um for 21 days you're going to start to change that habit and then another 21 days it will start to embed and then another 21 and you know you try and do that for a three-month period every day however you feel however little and just you just notice like things like do you notice the sun the birds you know you try and like notice things little tiny things and those little things all will help like the chemistry and the language in your head. When you're so stuck, you won't think it will, but you have to, you have to do it. And I speak from experience and also experience with clients and friends of just saying, you just have to do it, but the habit, not the volume, like it's the habit. And then you'll find yourself one day and you've been out for much longer and you'll think, oh, that's amazing. You don't then need to think you need to do the same the next day. You just have to do the same time 
And then once you've done it for three months, you will probably have the habit that you can be flexible yeah. and you'll feel happier. Mm -hmm. And I say, what's the worst thing? Like if it doesn't work, it didn't cost you anything and it, it will have helped you. Like it will have helped your body, if nothing more, because our bodies like to move. We're designed to move. Mm -hmm. So, and you'll have got off the screens because at the moment we're all spending so much screen time that like, don't take your phone. That might be scary. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I don't take my phone. Like when I go for a walk and on my social people are like, oh, we never see your walks. I'm like, because seriously, when I take my phone, I'm then 24 seven on my phone. So my bet my phone goes to bed downstairs <laughs> and I don't take it for a walk <laughs> and lots of people laugh um, and occasionally when I do because I'm doing like a ambassador thing or I'm required to do that I, I don't feel as good because I haven't had that switch off and so yeah if people are listening think about your phone that's a good thing for marathons as well to think about because some runs people rely on musical podcasts and some races, it's so loud, you can't hear your phone. So they get stressed about that. And sometimes your sat-nav or whatever, your GPS doesn't work. So I encourage my runners to have a day a week where they don't run, you know, or they tape it. If they can't cope with that, they tape it because there is something powerful in being able to understand how your body feels without data. Um, because as many times I've been in many races where there is no data and there is no music and and that's i think empowering if you can get halfway through a marathon and go i don't know my pace but i trust myself yeah yeah that stuff i mean data is helpful phones are helpful but yeah, when we become yeah if that if if that's the only way that you can know how to run or yeah there's going to be a day that it's not there so what are you going to do both is like I'm totally like science trained. I love the science and I'm also quite spiritual and like I have both, which kind of confuses people. But I really, I totally go on both. Like you need both. And if you can understand both, then that's your, that's your power. I believe. Yeah, I love that. Cool. So if people want to connect with you or find out more about working with you, where are the best spots they can find you? I'm like instagram twitter um facebook is all my name so at kim ingleby and then there's a free support group on facebook i think you're going to put the links in and i've got a monthly newsletter that has loads of like tips and advice and workouts and mind so mind and body stuff in it i've got a little book that's i see still in the us uh, so 52 tips to feel good um it's got a little dog on the front but it's just like four lines per page of tips to feel good but all the profit goes to mental health and I've done a TEDx talk. So, um, yeah, and I would love to connect with anyone, you know, any of the mediums. If you send me a DM, then I'm happy to, like, reply and help you if I can. Um, and, yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. Yes, amazing. So many, so many helpful tips for right now. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Keep well. Hey, don't forget to join me for the free Saturday morning crew. We meet on Saturdays. Oh my gosh, go figure. 10 a.m. Central, whatever time that is for you. Um, here's what you need to bring. Uh, a journal, a pen, and your body. If you have weights and you have bands, cool. If you don't have them, don't worry. But I'm going to teach you how to do a 15-minute workout at home that well, you can basically take anywhere you go. I'm going to teach you how to journal, how to set your mindset 
for your workout. I talk a lot about how it's not just about moving your body. It's not just about the food you eat, the exercise that you do, whatever. It's not just about burning calories, but it is about getting your mindset straight. So your thoughts and beliefs about yourself. So we start off with that, uh, a quick journal prompt. It's like three minutes to work on your thoughts and beliefs about yourself, um, set your mind up to actually benefit from the workout that you're about to do. And then you get to put it into practice. Um, you work out for 15 minutes and then a quick journal prompt at the end to like reaffirm the work that you just did. Um, I love it. This is what I do with my one-on-one clients, um, the free Saturday morning crew. And then a quick heads up too that the 16 week program, uh, the morning crew working with me for 16 weeks straight that opens or that starts rather July 6th. So if that's something you're interested in working with me one-on-one, um, I will be, you know, scheduling calls, uh, until July 6th. That's when we start. So you can apply to work with me. I'll put the link for both of those in the bio. Um, my clients have told me that this has been so helpful while staying home. Um, their gyms have been closed. It's been hard to get out of bed. It's really easy to fall into a rabbit hole of just scrolling on social media or saying, I'll do that workout later. And then it doesn't happen. So the great thing is we meet together. We work out. I don't watch you working out. That's not my job. Your job is to be the person in charge of your body. You know how to work out. You know how to push yourself. And this is an opportunity for you to listen to yourself instead of listening to someone else telling you exactly what to do. I love these workouts. I'm going to put the links to the free Saturday morning crew and then the application to work with me for the morning crew, which starts starts uh, July 6th. So both links will be in the show notes. I am so excited to meet you tomorrow, the Saturday morning crew. Take care.